Like you shouldn't have to be transparent for what you charge. What you charge is what you charge. What's up, Printable Pronouncers? Welcome back to the podcast. Excited to have you. We've just got a fun riff. We're going back and forth on a lot of stuff. I think one of the biggest things, well, what do you think was the biggest thing from that? Uh, hmm. Is Bell and Canvas selling? I think that's an interesting teaser. Um, anyway, we'll talk about it. We've got four incredible sponsors, though. These people are partners of the show and partners of the industry. So make sure to always check them out if you need any service or supplies. Easy way. You know you shouldn't be spending all day cleaning dirty screens. Easyway's line of environmentally conscious chemicals gets the job done faster and more efficiently, costing you the fraction of the cost per screen. Campus Inc.'s favorite Easyway chemicals are... 701, 842. (laughs) To clean up their dirty screens. If you value a company to help with how-tos, best practices, questions, and all that above, Easyway is there to go. Thanks, guys. I'm uh, pulling up notes here. I usually memorize them, but just today I wanted to have my notes out. Yeah. Uh, if you need a solution to improve efficiency and reduce costs in your art department, you can go to Graphic Source. Uh, we have three full-time graphics artists and back office admin VAs on our team. Uh, they handle all of our SEPs, mock-ups, creative, art, order management, embroidery, digitizing, back office admin and customer service. There's no better company in the industry to work with. They have over 30 years in the game. They really understand the how-tos and best practices and have a proven track record of success. Hit them up, graphicsource.com, 50% off your first vector step or embroidery order. And as always, shout out to the Campus Inc. Graphx team. You are the real deal. All right. Multicraft underscore daddy. Check them out on Instagram. Number one, go to their profile right now. And maybe if you have already, send them another DM. Send Dave a message that says, hey, I want to enter in for free PMI tape this week. He sends out cases of PMI tape every week. This tape. There it is. PMI tape he's sending out every single week. So you guys can be able to get some and check it out if you don't use it at your shop. But Multicraft. Screen printing and supplies for over 50 years has been supplying the industry with quality brands at competitive pricing. Um, they're awesome. They've got a really cool showroom in the Midwest as well that you go check out. They do classes. They do uh, all that good stuff. And Dave is just incredible to be And able Dave to with. just became a grand grandpa. Oh, so grandpa, multi, multi-craft multi, poppy. Multi-craft grandpoppy? <laughs> Congrats, Dave. Thanks, Dave. All right. So, Bruce, uh, Supacolor is the world's best heat transfer made for screeners, screen printers by screen printers. We understand the pressures and expectations of a screen printing business, and that's why they pride themselves on being super fast and super easy. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a pickle and Supacolor just bails you out. And especially when cold weather is coming around, Supacolor is really consistent and it works on products like North Face. So when you're decorating products for Q4, make sure you give them a try. Um, And if you use the Printavo code Printavo15, if you use the coupon code Printavo15, you'll get 15% off your first uh, order. So, or all orders? I don't know. Try it out. Someone try it out. Let us know. It's for sure the first and maybe all. (laughs) All right. All right. Welcome to Los Angeles. Hello. Welcome to the uh, makeshift studio here. Um, What have you been up to this week? I was in Phoenix for my dad's birthday and then I flew here 
and I've been doing nothing. <laughs> uh, I've been working from here for the week. Uh, you know, I just wanted, I was so excited for print hustlers. I came a week early. <laughs> you camped out. Yeah. Uh, set up a tent. I, I've, I ate some tacos. I went on some runs. I just been working from here, hanging with the nephews. Yeah. You ran five miles from, I ran here, your brother-in-law to here, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. I didn't run here this morning. Uh, excited. A lot of people just sending little pictures and stuff. I, you know, I think with like Pranusha's weekend, um, always such a nice time to just see everybody. It's kind of like the, the trade shows, right? But the trade shows are so busy and loud and so much going on. It's, it's for a different purpose where people can hang out, do things together and just take it easy. I have to work on my presentation. <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right. I've got a bunch of topics to talk to you about. Um, Are you going surfing with people this weekend? I'm going to try. I'm squeezing it in. Kevin Baumgart is is a really good surfer. And he's like, hey, let's go every single morning. I'm like, okay, I can't do that. And, you know, he's like a 5 a.m. type of guy ready to go. But I'm going to try to go as much as possible. We've got our CEO, James, coming in too. Is actually. he going to surf? You know, he grew up here. So he used to surf all the time. So I told him he should come with. So we'll see. I have my wetsuit delivered here. It arrived. You, do you have it? No, I didn't bring it oh, with me. Oh, you should have put it on. Uh, <laughs> it's the most awkward thing to put on. You have a wetsuit. You yeah. Know. Yeah. Set sails, surf lessons. Let's do it. Set sails, surf lessons. A little surfing, a little salesing. Justin Lawrence. You think he's going to, okay, predict. Is he going to wear the shoes that I bought him? I just want Justin Lawrence to do an updated cold plunge maybe chris pop up the clip to him doing the cold plunge last year um i got i said if i get you some new sneakers will you wear them for the show or for the the conference because he's emceeing and he's got 12 pairs of yeezys but he doesn't like talking about it because you know yeezys canceled i mean separately <laughs> of you know Kanye's issues they're dope shoes yeah but i think he put them in storage so he needs new shoes so i got him a couple pairs and we're gonna see if he wears them We'll see what the prediction looks Storage. like. He, he's waiting for, you know, like, all right, hey, look, I messed up, said some messed up things. Um, hey, all right, great. Go, <laughs> go get your shoes out from storage. <laughs> all right. What do you got? All right. I got a couple topics and then I've got some topics that you got to go over. First up, have you heard of color image apparel? No. All right. Have you heard of Bell and Canvas? Yes. <laughs> all right. So color image apparel is the hold co of aloe yoga and bella and canvas why that's important is because they are selling a stake of their business at a valuation of 10 billion dollars it just came out about uh 24 hours ago actually okay so a stake in the business the whole right. thing i don't think the whole thing it does seem like they're selling a, a fair amount they've hired an investment bank to help do some of the work it came out in business of fashion you could find the article but here's what's interesting in 2022 guess what their revenue as a, as a whole co was i think that okay 2022 the revenue was two billion dollars eh, i mean it was very complimentary i think it was a billion dollars they said roughly a billion in 2022 and what's crazy though is in 2021 it was about 500 million so the company literally doubled i don't know if that was from COVID? Bella or Aloe. My guess is it could be from Aloe. 
It could be from aloe, but you know, I mean, you know how apparel and everything was as well. Okay, so they're sure valuing the company at ten. They're valuing the company at ten billion dollars. The rumor is that that came out is that the valuation that they're selling the stake of is at ten billion dollars. But that means they're not going to get a check for ten billion. That means they might sell thirty percent of it for three billion. Uh, it, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So they may take that off the stake. There's two founders, Danny Harris and Marco DeGeorge, um, which, uh, if you don't know, are actually former screen printers. They started in a garage, and then they transitioned to making wholesale blanks, which turned into Bella, which turned into Bella. Okay, so Angel. how do they get to that number ten billion? Like, what's the what's the math behind it? Do you think? I, I mean, I think valuations have a lot of characteristics a part of it, but some of the big ones is just being profitable, being growing, showing, you know, a really good track record. Um, and for someone else to be able to say, okay, great, I can put in 30%, I can put 3 billion. And at some point that 3 billion is going to be worth six or five, right. right? And along the way, make some money. Right. And this also de-risks the Danny, founders exactly and marco so i'm assuming they've done very well over the time and they've been able to take cash off the table but this is you know the majority of their net worth and every shop owner's net worth is tied up is tied up in the business and so if you have a chance to de-risk take it or at least consider it and this is their chance to de-risk especially after showing such a huge growth year a double yeah. And I think, see, I think what's really interesting about Bella Canvas, so they're still a private company, which Correct. means that gives them the ability to be super nimble, mm -hmm. right? And maybe they want to go public. Maybe they don't want to go public. Once you go public, things get really complicated, right? I can only imagine. But uh, it is a private company. And this is like the last thing that an owner will do before a company's like almost ready for the next stage, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that Bella Canvas is obviously growing really well, but like Aloe is now like a celebrity brand. Like, have you seen this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you see their offices, you see like the Kardashians, you uh, see I like see Butler Jimmy Butler what, yeah. wearing an Aloe hat. That is, and if you remember, I've tapped influencer marketing. We to used the to max. be able to buy Aloe from SNS. Yeah. See, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. They're, they're, they had a low cost dry fit t shirt that we got all the time and like their yoga pants uh -huh. and like leggings and all that stuff. Like, uh, you used to be able to buy it from there and then they turned it into this premium brand and then they put influencers behind it. And now I bet you the brand value, there's like probably some crazy multiple just on the brand value of it. I'm like sure. it's like Lululemon lemon level. Yeah. I looked up cause I was kind of curious, what is Lululemon company valued at? And they're about 50 billion. 50? Um, they're a public company, but yeah, 50 billion. So it just shows, I think to a future buyer as to, Hey, look, if you keep executing, if this business continues to grow, at least the aloe side, then look at what it could become. The other interesting thing, though, is the Bella side. I'm not, I, I would love to know when this comes out as to how that's structured. Is this part of the deal? What is Bella's growth like? How do they view continuing to grow? Like, can they push out, you know, I don't know, a next level or um, not next level? Well, who who would you say is Bella's, you know, one and two, number one and two competitors? I'd say Gildan. Okay. So can they continue to take Gildan market share? Well, I think they're I think what's happening right now is like these brands are moving upstream to more fashion based stuff, mm -hmm. right? So like 
Bella's got their fast fashion. Gildan has really made a point to re you know reignite American apparel and comfort colors, right? Like they're doing all the American apparel stuff. They're literally like like bringing it back to life. I really think it's Bella v. Gildan. Bella v. Gildan. We need the the gloves. Yeah, which is interesting because you have a private company versus a public company, a company that's super established, that is a key player in the value-based one, and then one that's kind of coming from the other end with like fashion, things like that. They're kind of both both meeting at a certain point. If we weren't able to get Danny on the pod then, I don't know if we're going to be able to now, but that doesn't stop me from trying. Yeah. (laughs) Danny, if you're listening, we'd love to tell your story. All right. I've got some other um, notes on here. We were chatting on the phone the other day and I brought this up. There is a book out there called Rework. R-E-W-O-R-K. Highly recommend. Founders of Basecamp? Basecamp. Okay. And or or 37 Signals. It used to be called 37 Signals. It's a short book. Very short. It's your type type of of book. It's two pages max per chapter (laughs) and half of one page is an illustration. (laughs) That's me. <laughs> um, the Basecamp founders are uh, DHH and this guy, Daniel, like Hassel Hahmeyer or something. Anyway, DHH is his name and Jason Freed. Um, but what I find interesting is they view business differently. They, they really view it in their own perspective and in their own way, and they execute business in their own way. Here's what I mean by that. For example, um, they hate meetings so much that they literally just don't have them the majority of the week. And uh, you have to like write longer, full form, thought out. Memos. Yeah, before you can like, hey, I think we should do this. Well, think it out, write it down, think about why, all the pros and cons, and then submit that. So they're really trying to slow things down. They, they don't view growth. They view growth as good. But high growth is bad. They they view um, simplicity is more important than doing more and more. Um, they view underdoing the competition uh, more than trying to do more than their competition. What do you mean underdoing the competition? As in, instead of offering uh, a software product, which Basecamp is a project management tool that they sell. It's their main bread and butter. Instead of offering a million and one services to compete with Asana and Monday and all the others out there, they literally stick with the basics of their post-it notes in the software and their communication. And they don't want to keep adding and adding and adding functionality and services. Do you feel like Basecamp's gotten less important or less noteworthy? Like I think that because they're not in the media as much as they used to be with their content marketing they used to do. They And, and this that's how they got popular. They like would write these really great blogs. They'd pump out books and they'd do all that. But I wonder if it matters because they're clearly extremely profitable. Like they do really, really well. But it's like they found their niche. They do it really well. They keep it simple and they don't stray from it. Right. But then you see, okay, so you saw like Notion, Monday, Asana, Trello, all trying to literally sabotage each other. Yeah. Yeah. It was very competitive there for a while. Interesting. But I love the book rework. Anyway, check it out. Uh, what, what else do they... So, okay, yeah. so yeah, here's here's the article. It's called Give It Five Minutes. Hmm. And um, the, this, the TLDR is that it's easy in making a habit of making quick decisions, especially as an owner. You have to make quick decisions to just keep moving things forward. You, you, you know, you somebody asks you something, you've got it right away so we can move on. Um, 
people just look for you for answers. And uh, I, I think there is also taking pride in being able to make quick decisions and moving on as well. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is as the company continues to grow, and this is even, I think, five people, <laughs> 10 people or so, um, those decisions start holding a lot more weight. Even if you think that they're small, they affect a lot more things. They could change different processes. They could have changed how people are doing things and so on. Instead of making fast decisions, what they're saying is give it five minutes. Like just think about it for five minutes and that there's really nothing wrong with taking five minutes. Say, hey, let let me think about that and I'm going to get back to you in five. Go back and respond later. Ask good questions. Learn more. How does this really help us? Dismissing ideas, dismissing things that are new is also very easy to do, but giving it five minutes is really helpful, especially as we get very like ingrained in the ways of how we used to do things. And this is just how we do things. Giving it five minutes, thinking about it, and then uh, going back to someone with an answer. So, and you, you, so I was talking to you a little bit about, you know, so we're running this thing called Traction. You may have heard of this book. Hi, Berkeley. Uh, Bruce got a new dog. Berkeley. Uh, She's chewing on the cables. And uh, what's really awesome about it is um, we meet once a week for these things called L10 meetings. And part of the meetings is we have this issue list. And so if something pops up during the week that starts to bubble in our leadership team, like in our Slack channel, it could be that like we want, we're really frustrated with something the competition's doing and we want to rethink the way we build something, right? Like you'll start to see a thread you know, and people kind of the keyboard warriors will come out and you'll start to see like emotions get high. And I get, I get pretty triggered pretty easily, but something that we've started to do as a team is a habit of like, once it turns into four or five like messages of opinions, it's like, Hey, let's add this to the issue list and we'll deal with it on Wednesday. And then literally someone copies it into there. Smart. And our CFO who runs the traction for us, Steve Watson is a very, he's an accountant. So he's like very calculated, very like thoughtful, very methodical. And he's able to like reduce the pressure, get us all to like step back. And then when we come to that point on that Wednesday, we're all really prepared. And like everyone's thought through things and has talked about it. And like you just you're able to approach things with with such a more calm. Um, And that's been something that's been working really, really well for us. Um, And then the other part about it is the owner sometimes like sometimes I just like to watch what's happening and not say anything. Mm-hmm. Do you ever see that happening where you're like, I know I could give my opinion right now, but I'm not going to. That feels like torture at times. Why? <laughs> like that's a form of torture. For, I feel like for a lot of business owners, including me, just watching versus not jumping. In like, anything. It's lighting on fire. <laughs> <laughs> you have to like put the restraints down on the chair. Uh, I, if you don't let them problem solve, they're never going to be able to do it themselves. Yeah, you're right. Um, and so a lot of times they'll like be like, okay, Steven, they'll like they'll argue through a whole thing. Yeah. Like, Steven, what do you think? And I won't say anything. Just like let them do their thing. I don't know. The interesting thing that happens is problems actually just do get solved because they have to do something. <laughs> they come to the conclusion. It's like, oh, never mind. And I like seeing that. It's like, oh, never mind. Figure it out. It's like, good. That's awesome. Yeah. We mute. I mute a lot of channels, but otherwise they won't figure out themselves. Yeah. I like that saying, give it five minutes. Give it five minutes. Um, I wrote down Kodak. Do you want to share? Cool. I think that was really cool. I had the opportunity to meet with um, this organization called NASMA, N-A-S-M-A. 
Um, and it's it's an or it's a group of executives from the printing industry that basically run like the supply chain of our industry. So it's like leaders from Rock, leaders from MNR, leaders from NASDAQ, Lawson. Um, and they asked me to come and present on modern day print shop things that are happening in there. And it's a pretty, pretty older crew, like from a generational side. And so I led the presentation with a story about Kodak. Did you know that? Let me ask you this. That's a good way to launch a, to launch a presentation. Yeah. Right away. Guess when the digital camera was invented. The digital camera? Mm-hmm. Uh, the 90s, 80s? 1975. The technology, the digital camera was invi- invented by a guy named Steve Sasson in 1975. Wow. Uh, Kodak knew about it and muted it. And it wasn't until the patent was up in 2007 <laughs> that other competitors then really started diving into the digital camera. And Kodak was so worried that it would cannibalize their film business and like their core functionality of what they actually like built their company on. And then... Kodak later filed for bankruptcy, right? And so the the story was, uh, I joked and said, a Kodak moment is when a company sees a technology coming, doesn't adopt it, and thinks it's just going to go away versus embracing it. And, you know, companies that don't, that, that feel like something's threatening them, and if they decide to do it, it would cannibalize themselves. Like I said in the presentation, if you're not willing to cannibalize yourself, someone else will. Ooh. And so we were talking a lot about the rise of direct-to-film printing and what that meant for DTG printing and what that meant for ink manufacturers and what that meant for screen, you know, screen, like press manufacturers and and all that stuff. Um, And so uh, I think that's just a great example of, of embracing something new that's coming out and spending some time learning it and actually knowing if it's going to be viable, but not being scared of adopting it. Right. So like, I don't know, do you, that DTF was a perfect example. Where else do you think you see that? Well, I kind of want to go into that because okay. is that like, do you see then the Epsons and the brothers making that strong pivot in cannibalizing their own sales? Or, I mean, people are already retrofitting a lot of the printers anyway, yeah. or I mean, I how think, does that affect the industry now? So I think it looks something like this. Um, someone who wanted to get into screen printing would go buy a Riley four by four and learn from Ryan straight up. Right. Right. Or cat's bit. Or cat's bit. But yeah. like, but that's, you know, that's, that's the, I started with a Riley four by four and that's how I got my start. Now it's going to be, I started with Supacolor and a heat press, but what do you see Ryan Ryan at doing? They're really talking about Stampinator and heat pressing. By the pressing. way, what a better way to start too. What? With the heat press, then yeah. have to learn. Bruce still can't heat press. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm decent now, but I mean, just I'm just thinking like obviously higher quantities would suck, but maybe you just sub all that out. But yeah, I mean, getting started with just heat press. I mean, just learning the, the hot peel part yeah. is probably the hardest piece. Yeah. That's it. So like, so the barrier to entry just dropped a generation. Like the drinking age of printing just went down. Yeah, because like you know you can teach almost anyone to do that. Well, now you can design using Dolly and AI. So you needed to be professionally trained to create logos. Now a 16 year old can type a cool logo in, order the transfers and ship it to their parents' house and start heat pressing. So it's like if a kid got a heat press for Christmas, they could technically be in business. Right. 
Okay. Take that another step further. Uh, a 16 year old can now design on Dolly or whatever AI. Uh, then they can go on printful.com, set up their own website and never touch a shirt and make money. The progression from I wanted to buy a Riley four by four and print shirts to I want to sell apparel just became so much easier that like what's going to happen when Gen Zers become entrepreneurs? They're going to literally just like laugh at us in the way that we do things, you know? So that's kind of what I was talking about is while everyone's so worried about like DTF, DTG, sublimation, screen printing, embroidery, and who's chopping who down, like we need to be embracing the next generation of entrepreneurs and figuring out what they're going to do and what's going to, you know, what, what's going to work for them. So it might be DTF. It might be, it might be drop shipping. It might be DTF on demand. I don't know. So that's what I've been thinking about I like lately. That. That's cool. Yeah. That's a cool thought. It's interesting before, you know, the super colors of the world are, were out and as big as they are in that, yeah, you do buy the manual kit, like you say, and then everybody aspires to at some point sure. be able to afford an auto or for have it to make sense. And do you think that that transition changes? Like, is it, is it, could it be in five years that, yeah, you, you buy a heat press, but then could you buy a more robust heat press? Yeah. Like, I know that there's, you know, Rock just the, came the, out the, with the an rotator. auto heat press. Right. Rock came out that one and printing an A, which we need to go deeper into or have um, someone on from Rock. But, you know, you've got the that East West Machines product that's really cool. Um, obviously, Stalls makes some great products. You've been sourcing products from overseas. Yeah. Does that change that transition or do you think it's an and conversation? And it's like, well, it's still a quantity thing. Like if you're still running, I don't know, let's say 500 items front and back, you still really want to have an automatic press, but then this is supplements. The- yeah. I mean, I think heat, heat transfers are just going to get better. Heat presses are just going to get better. I don't know how much better a screen printing press is going to get, right? Like the mechanics of it are you still burn a screen, wash it out, dry the screen, get the screen in the press, put ink in there and print. Like, I wonder if that's kind of hit a plateau because that was mm. that pivoted to digital with digital squeegee. And then DTF said, no, we'd rather just do this. <laughs> like, nah, nah. So like, I feel like that's kind of hit a ceiling and I'm, mm. I'm It'll be interesting to see how much faster those things can get. But if a heat press print two, 300 pieces an hour, what more do you need from that? Um, and then if there are other you know companies out there that you can outsource to, right? Like we just talked to Davis from B Graphics, mm-hmm. sold his printing press, just heat presses in-house, subs everything out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, People are still going to need t-shirts. I just think that people are going to be heat pressing lower quantities a lot more. And maybe those lower quantities, those thresholds are three, 400 pieces now. That is an incredible point of the upside and the, the innovation gap is so much higher in the transfer world than it is probably in the screen printing automatic machine world. As right. in, how much more can you optimize really? Maybe it's the last 20%, 10%. That could take 20 years. It's just like a project. It's like, oh yeah, we're almost done. We're almost done. But you know, that right. there's a longer tail there. But you're right, like maybe there's 80% left on the transfer world. So that can make leaps and bounds over three years. Right. And, and you could already see that as far as how the trade shows have, like what they're selling and everything in the last yeah. couple of years alone. And I mean, we haven't even gotten to like 
transfers, you know, I, I was like, can we put transfers in a hopper and they just like feed through a heat press and just like come down or something like that. Like, Oh damn. What are you, dude, you're thinking about this stuff. Like, I yeah. mean, what can you share of like, all right. in in, in a dream world, you know, you're sitting there, uh, you've got your Apple vision pro goggles on, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're dialed in looking at the rest of the shop and how things are going. What, I mean, that's a crazy cool idea. So it's like someone loads his shirt or it's, automatically loaded or something he tries to slides down presses it you see those something pilot or whatever pilot uh things that pull off the garment put it on the yeah i mean you just think of okay load a shirt unload a shirt that could be robotic uh print a heat transfer that could, unload unload is done today right i haven't seen load um yet. heat transfer printing that's digital cutting that's digital uh could it actually get placed on a shirt automatically? Maybe. We need to talk to Andrew at PMI Tape. He's got to get <laughs> one of his robots on there. But I did yeah. see at a trade show this arm that was like, it was like a suction arm like Andrew has at PMI Tape where it, it grabbed a transfer, placed it on a heat press, right? Um, wow. Yeah. So I don't know. It's only 2023. Like, let's think back 10 years ago. And what technology was out. And let's just imagine what's going to be there in 2033. Like, holy cow. Um, the, the PMI is a, it's a shop tour that we did at their facility. Uh, just search Pentavo PMI tape and you can see uh, pretty cool. He programmed these robot arms himself. To like, you know, bundle. <laughs> and it packages, it packages boxes and then it puts them in a stack. It tapes them and puts them in a stack on yeah. a pallet. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I think the world's moving closer to single piece on demand. And I think that's where shops are going to have to make sure they they are with the times. There was a really good Q&A question that I saw online that there was a lot of debate on. And I was curious to get your opinion around customer supplied garments. Um, how do you handle? There's so much back and forth of, uh, you know, some people accepting it. It depending on the customer. Some people still marking it up and adding a fee. Some people not charging for garments at all and just upping the print cost. Um, what's been your take? Um, so this is our industry's fault for allowing people to get in and buy blanks when they shouldn't. You mean distributors? Distributors, yeah. They're not protecting it enough, so thank you. Um, now, do you mean... And, and we're not talking about contract printing. So like I'm not buying my shirts and yeah. shipping them to Justin's shop to print because mm -hmm. that's a total, that's trade, right? I'm talking about you want to start a clothing brand. So you go on jiffytees.com and buy, you know, a shirts and then you decide to come into my shop and say you have them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hate that. Uh, we don't accept customer supplied goods. Oh, okay. So yeah. black and white. <laughs> uh, it's just like, I mean, it's the same way you go to a restaurant. You don't bring your own steak. <laughs> what if it's BYOB? I, I, I don't do that. <laughs> right. Um, and we take a firm stance because we're just not set up for it and it cuts away at our profit. And so we tell our customers straight up, like, you know, we print on our own stuff and we are not a print shop that prints on other people's things. Now, some people combat that by saying, if you bring me your stuff, I'm going to charge you the same exact amount. And that's a nice way of saying, let me buy the shirts. 
Um, but most of the time, those are the type of customers that are tougher to deal with, more picky. And then your margin for error goes down because what if you ruin one of those shirts? Right. I've seen shops do it where they'll do the shirt price and the print price to make it really clean. I'm more of the camp of full package. I just don't like breaking stuff out, nor is it anyone's business. Right. Because then they're just like, well, wait, you're making six bucks a shirt. Yeah. Well, I have overhead and employees and things like that. And so I feel like when shops break it out separately, the control part that you mentioned. Yeah. And I feel like when shops break it out separately, they're appeasing to their customer. Right. They're trying to be like, like you shouldn't have to be transparent for what you charge. What you charge is what you charge. I want to break down that cheeseburger at McDonald's. What? <laughs> How much does that cheese cost? You better take off the price if I have no cheese. Yeah. I mean, no, like it just, I think that's, that's a race to the bottom as we kind of talk about is it's appeasing customers. It's giving into their demands versus you setting the standard for it. Um, and I think if you lose a customer because of it, that customer shouldn't shouldn't have bought from you to begin with. So, little teaser: I have some really cool pricing data I'm going to share at Prenticers, um, and we'll talk about it on this podcast. You after. know what? Actually, you want me to share something really funny? Yeah. Uh, so I was talking. I email Mark every so often. Mark Cuban. Okay. Emma. Uh, <laughs> First name, I'm thinking like uh, Kudre, uh My neighbor Mark. You ready for this? Okay. So I, we were talking about how busy we are uh, about a couple of things. And he said, if you're finding yourself overwhelmed with business, you need to raise your prices. It tells you you are too cheap. Remember, it's not sales that are important. It's gross margin dollars and profit. Leave the unprofitable sales to others to choke on. Damn. Leave the unprofitable sales for others to choke on. Yeah. That goes so well. There was another post I saw in the in the groups where someone just says, we do not, exclamation mark, negotiate on pricing to go back and forth. Here's what I write back. And it's like, you know, we truly appreciate your business. You know, we do this, blah, blah, blah. We, we really focus on the service side. So if you'd like to go with someone else, you can. And uh, great discussion on it. But that was her take. And she moves on. Um, there's and a, I don't think anybody regrets that either. I think you regret it when you... There's a book called Never Split the Difference. It's by the FBI hostage negotiator. And he says, in hostage negotiation, you have to give them an out. Like, you have to say, like, yeah, it's okay if you don't want to work with us. I love that Cuban quote, by the way. What? <laughs> yeah. They uh, let, <laughs> let your competitors choke on them. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting, um, kind of backstory on Printavo. We used to have a, our, our intro plan, our starter plan um, was $99 for a while. And then well, we saw some... What was your intro plan when you first started? Okay, 19? never mind. Keep, keep going, 19. keep going. 99. Um, and so uh, we, had, we saw a couple new competitors come on the market and they were just starting their business. And as you just start, you tend to be kind of the bottom price tier, right? You don't have a lot of... Uh, service offerings and all that stuff. Anyway, so we said, hey, well, why don't we do kind of like what Shopify does? And you've got that intro plan to get started at 29. And at some point, you need more functionality and you upgrade. Well, ran it for about a year and it it was unprofitable. Like there's no way to split the data to how it would have worked. Like you may say, oh, we just got this customer and we were able to keep them and then they ordered more and then they like it just did not work and was not profitable for the business. And we eventually just raised it and said, look, 
We know that if someone's paying $30 for a subscription plan to help run your business, the time it takes to get them in as a customer, you know, marketing dollars, to demo, to do the customer success and onboard and then support with questions, you don't make that back ever. And what are you going to do? Just ignore them and be like, sorry, we don't answer your emails. You didn't, you're not on this right. price plan. Right. And so you try to <clears> split <throat> up, but there's just no way. Your right. team's going to answer and they should. So anyway, I thought that was perfectly in line with what Cuban was saying. But, um, so we knew like, okay, when everybody else is going at $30 for an intro plan, there's just no way they're going to be able to sustain that. Uh, and that might not be the cut. Co- like, I think what you were thinking at the time, which wasn't bad was these customers will grow and will grow with them. Yeah. But you're going to lose money all along the way until you grow with them. Yeah. And if you're not making money, the first interaction there, that's a really long loss leader. Okay, last point I've got here for today, and then we can wrap. Um, this was a tweet I saw that I, I think was a great share. And uh, he said, constantly surprised by how much business, how many business problems can be solved by just getting on a plane or, or just going to drive to the customer. This goes for prospects, customers, and teammates. And, you know, I think in a world of convenience and, you know, wanting to be remote or like uh, just make things easy, this is sort of the like, oh, pick up a pen and paper and like write a, a handwritten note or a thank you or something like that that stands out. And I think the more that AI and ChatGTP and all this other stuff comes into play, the more that those old school things start to become more valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have a question. You visited hundreds of shops. You've done shop tours on YouTube. If you go back through every one of the shop tours that you've done on YouTube, have any of them canceled Printava? It's a good question. I'd have to run to that. I have no idea. Probably it, not. It is a fun excitement for me and surprisingly for them. I'm always like, oh, I feel like I'm bugging someone or they're so busy, but they're stoked. And people like clean the shop and get everything all ready. And But when you go spend three hours of your, okay, you are the CEO of like when you were, you know, the, the running the entire ship, when you take time out of your day to go do that, there is like a deep appreciation that a business has. Yeah. And they will hold on to that and now defend you when things go south or some features not working or totally, this or that. Right. And they're like, no, 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 like Printavo's our friend, right? And I'm seeing that more and more, like we're big in the NIL space with college licensing. Adam Cook, who runs kind of the whole thing, he will hop on a plane, even if it's for two hours to meet with a client. Like, Cause nobody else will. Well, he's just like, dude, when I get in person with them and we're real people and they see that I like took a 7am flight and we talk about our families. But your competitors aren't going to do that. Yeah. <clears throat> and so like, he's not afraid to hop on a plane and fly back the same day just to make the like relationship and the empathy and just like have a meal with them. Like it goes the distance. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like it. Like, I don't, when my reps come into town and they actually spend time with us, like, I'm like, oh, thank you for doing that. Like, that was really nice of you. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. I Don't forget to go old school. I don't think don't forget to go old school. And that quote, what, what is the quote? Resolution something. Loyalty is built in resolution. Loyalty is built in resolution. You have a, so I searched that quote because I'm like, I'm going to find, I want to find the Twitter post so I'm going to repost this. And you wrote an amazing blog post on it. So literally just search uh, loyalties, but oh, resolution. You found it on LinkedIn and, and it's the number one result. If you search for that quote, it, mine is. Yeah. 
So maybe nice. he didn't say it like that or he's just not online. But anyway, you have a great blog post on it and I think everybody should read it. And we should probably just link to it in the description. But yeah, I mean, everything. That's everyone, a great everyone's going to mess up. You're going to mess up. You're going to goof. Like you're going to drop the ball. It's how you recover from it and then what you do from it. And so like that's what we say in our like customer success channel is like, yeah, a shirt got ripped in the mail. Yeah, we misprinted this. Yeah, we did that. How are you going to like turn it into a delightful moment and build a relationship and get them to trust you again? Um, I don't give a lot of people two or three chances if they don't take that quote seriously. I'm like, okay, you messed up. What are we going to do about it? And then if they keep messing up, it's like, okay, you obviously have zero respect for like, you what know, what's happening. So I'm, I'm also pretty polarizing to dig into, dig into companies that don't take that seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I love that quote. And I, I'd almost argue that it builds more of a bond with a customer when they've had an issue and you go over the top to fix it than if they were just a customer and you just delivered on what their expectations were before. So it's not like, saying that you want to like cause an issue, but like there is a, I, I do think you get a little, I mean, plus I, I, one. I had a company really mess up a couple times. Um, and then like I called their CEO and let them know my frustration. And instead of just listening and acknowledge, they just like, we're a whole bag of excuses. And I was like, I just wanted you to apologize. Like, and just say sorry and just like make it better the next time. And then they still kept messing up. And then I'm like, okay, you obviously don't, this isn't a, this isn't a priority for you. Are you, you know? dropping names or no? Uh, not today. All right. <laughs> I think that's the pod. Dude, thanks for making time.